Hey everybody, welcome back to Studio HFL. I'm Larry Powell, your host for this podcast. I'm glad you're back for another interview. I'd like to let you know that this podcast is made possible by the generous support of my new co-sponsor, Messina Covers. David and Erica design and deliver both high-quality customer service and products, both standard and custom. Be sure to check them out at www.messinacovers.net. And Messina is spelled M-E-S-S-I-N-A-C-O-V-E-R-S. They offer their support through Patreon. Patreon is a funding platform where you can offer your financial support to this podcast, and your help will go towards hosting, production, and marketing fees. There are several tiers of support offered, and you can check out how you'd like to support this podcast at www.patreon.com slash studiohfl, and Patreon is spelled P-A-T-R-E-O-N. You can also offer support by providing comments and a rating on whatever platform you use to get your podcasts. If you'd like to receive news regarding interviews, new guests, access to Studio HFL merchandise, please subscribe to the newsletter by going to www.powellmusic.net and click on the subscribe to newsletter link. And of course, Powell Music, P-O-W-E-L-L-M-U-S-I-C dot net. And now, on with the interview. I told my wife, I said, you need to come to this concert with me. And uh, she's like, okay, fine. Well, I had bought tickets front row center. <laughs> so your bell was pointed right at us. Okay. And uh, she's like, I'm going to be deaf by the end of the concert. I said, no, no, no. It's, of course, it was just fantastic. And Thank you. I remember you opened with Torchinsky. Had never heard that piece before. It was just, mm-hmm. oh. But the piece that blew me away was the Col Madre, which the brook is just exquisite. Thank you. Uh, on cello. So I, I played this for some of my cellist friends, and they're like, oh, sacrilege, you can't play that on flugelhorn. And I said, yeah, but how does it sound? Oh, it's gorgeous. And it, it was gorgeous enough. It inspired me. I have a Getzen four valve. It doesn't even come close to your, your instrument. But um, I performed that on a recital a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. It's hard. It has <laughs> it's a lot really of difficulties with that piece, especially in the low yeah. range, yes. Well, down to, it was, I can't remember, low D or D flat or, uh, or something at the very end. Yeah, there is this oh, pe- pedal, pedal, pedal D. Yeah. And even D flat yeah. at some point, yes. So I'm thinking, uh, what am I going to ask you in an interview that people haven't already asked before? But I'm going to start yet with one more thing is I want to say thank you from the trumpet world on the fact that you've given us permission to go outside of trumpet repertoire. Um, there I have to say that playing arrangements, it's like walking on uh, thin ice. It's a big responsibility. I'm definitely not the first to do it because uh, other uh, trumpet players were doing it already since many years. And uh, Maurice Andrei, Timofey Dokritzer, obviously, mm. and many, many other players. Um, I discovered uh, uh, with the... How shall I say, with the, the, the help of flugelhorn or uh, I had my uh, possibilities kind of, um, I don't know, wider in mm, a way. Absolutely. Uh, that enabled me to, because it has, a, this instrument has a very big range. 
mm-hmm. um, especially in the low range and uh, a lot of possibilities and um, it's possible to play a lot more music a lot more than with trumpet even mm-hmm. so um, but again not everything is possible to play on it so one has <laughs> to be honest with oneself and and just um, be you know, honest and and if something doesn't work then you just have to mm-hmm. s- to, to be able to, <laughs> to 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 look at the truth mm-hmm. you know and, and say to yourself that well unfortunately it doesn't sound good mm-hmm. uh, but there's so many pieces that do and I, I even think about the simplicity of like Safishod or Vidmung and just first of all just beautiful lines yeah uh, this vocal project um, was uh, when I when I did it I did it with the help of my sister at that time mm. and these melodies were her ideas I have mm. to say a great idea yeah some of these pieces uh, are played on other instruments as well mm-hmm. and later I saw that uh, uh, many of these works uh, were performed by Misha Maisky on the cello for instance mm-hmm. Because he has played really very many arrangements all these years, mm-hmm. beautifully. Mm-hmm. So, so <laughs> I mean, obviously, we're not going to hear one of those impossible pieces. I, I I find it hard to say that they're impossible. You to say that they're impossible pieces, but maybe just from a standpoint of is it out of the range of the flugelhorn, or just the there are too many. Uh, like with strings, um, double and triple stops, or things like that, or well, obviously it's impossible to play, at least for me, two notes at the same time. Uh, some players uh, who can sing well, maybe they can mm. kind mm-hmm. of the multiphonics. Yes, uh, that I don't do. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of my colleagues do it very well. Mm-hmm. Uh, for, for instance, uh, Arkadia Schulklopper. Oh, yeah, uh, he's. Uh, <laughs> Well, and Rex. Yeah, Rex I, I, have, I, I haven't, I haven't heard, but uh, yeah. uh, obviously he can sing a lot better mm-hmm. than I do. So, <laughs> but um, still, there are some pieces that don't necessarily require two voices at the same time, and mm-hmm. sometimes it's possible somehow to 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 play the works without. One just has to be careful which voice is the main mm-hmm. voice, which mm-hmm. so. Again, if not to try, then you don't see, really. Mm-hmm. What kind of repertoire are you looking to get into next? I know some pieces are being written for you, like the piece you're performing here at ITG. Uh, that's correct. Well, this piece is a very particular one. But um, about uh, my plans for the future, um, I have this project in mind um, only with Flügelhorn. Not because I wanted it only with flugelhorn, it's just because it doesn't sound well on trumpet. Mm-hmm. It would not. Mm-hmm. And the project would be around uh, Mozart and Beethoven. Uh, violin, uh, sonatas, and, oh. and, and uh, one, one or two cello, cello works. I have, I'm still working on mm-hmm. finalizing this idea. So I'm just um, waiting for an opportunity to, to make it happen. Mm-hmm. So some of these pieces I already play on stage. So, in my recitals. like with the brook, it was original key, original yeah. form. I mean, it's you played off the cello part. I would exactly. Um, when you 
do you have to make certain adaptations? Let's say there's a, a Mozart cello concerto that you wanted to do, or? There is none by Mozart. Oh, sorry. Um, Haydn, I did. Uh, Haydn, okay, I'm sorry. Um, which you've already done several, um, I think, right? There's there are several. two, yeah. at least, as far as I know. Um, are there limitations where you, you have to change the key or the register, or are you able to stay true? I'm not in favor of changing keys. I think that's, that's kind of okay in Baroque repertoire. But, uh, well, I have to say that, let's say, Mozart, uh, uh, a bow concerto, or I don't, I don't even remember. I think it was, first of all, written for oboe, and then the flute player started to play mm. it one tone higher. <laughs> so there are two versions of that mm -hmm, piece. Mm -hmm. Uh, or was it the other way around? But I think it was written for oboe. Mm -hmm. And I think this is rather exceptional, I think. Mm -hmm. Unless, um, because, I mean, uh, because in Baroque music, uh, many pieces are performed in different keys. And then also we have this uh, uh, situation with the tuning, because it, the Baroque tuning was oh, much lower. Right. So anyway, there was a change already. Mm -hmm. So um, I prefer not to change keys, and I almost never do. Well, okay, what about the song cycles, Brahms, Schubert? I mean, because those can be sung in multiple keys, you know, depending that's, on the artist. That's right, because so. some of the melodies, let's say, by, uh, I don't know, Tchaikovsky or Rachmaninoff are performed by different voices. Mm -hmm. So, and therefore, the different keys. Mm -hmm. uh, that, that's, yeah, mm -hmm. that's correct. So, you choose a piece. Uh, who does the transcription? Is, is your father still involved in? My father is kind of retired at the moment. Yeah. Because he has written so much that I just <laughs> didn't manage to play all of it. Mm -hmm. uh, it's all published, by the way, mm -hmm. with a Swiss uh, edition company, Mark Reift. Mm -hmm. no, and I've seen that list. It's a, it's a pretty extensive list. Of yeah, he's done a lot. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah. And then many ideas came to my sister with the especially with the vocal repertoire. Uh, lately, uh, I've been working with uh, this uh, Belgian pianist, Maria Mirovich, who also played mm -hmm. with me in... Uh, uh, well, and you featured her. I don't recall the piece that she played. She played solo also. Yes. I don't remember what, though. It was it may, uh, Prokofiev, I think. No, she, no, it was might have been Rachmaninov or something. But, but I don't remember. But I appreciated that. You know, that's not something we normally do in the States. Yes, feature the accompanist, but she was spectacular. She's not an accompanist, that's the thing. A collaborator, collaborative artist. I don't consider uh, the piano player with whom I play an accompanist. We have a, uh, a proper chamber music duo, and this mm -hmm. is what it is. We are both soloists mm -hmm. there. So, and um, I think this is quite important to consider. Well, and the synergy was obvious. I mean, the, you played so beautifully together. We liked playing together. On stage, it was just, it was remarkable. But I have a question, and now that I remember that recital, you stand, even in the videos that, I've, that I recall now, you stand uh, behind the pianist, behind whoever's at the piano, uh, rather than in the Next the, to, rather. Yeah. And I don't stand in front, that's, yeah. that's right. And I, I feel kind of more cozy like that. Mm -hmm. I feel like a team. Mm -hmm. For me, this is uh, important. Mm -hmm. Help me remember the, the young man's name that's been joining on stage, Kirill. Kirill uh, Soldatov. Yes. In Russia. Yes. We played uh, with Kirill uh, at least twice. And we did, um, uh, we played duos with two flugelhorns. It was spectacular. 
but I have to say just to be um, uh, correct that it was not the first time that I played a duo with two flugelhorns because for many years I, I've been playing duos with Gabor Boldotsky from Hungary because mm -hmm. we toured a lot together mm -hmm. and then we just had this idea to play with Kirill as mm -hmm. well mm -hmm. and uh, yes we did uh, this uh, Vivaldi uh, G minor uh, double cello concerto mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and also this uh, Rosetti for two horns, which mm -hmm. is sometimes uh, uh, called uh, uh, as a Haydn double, but mm -hmm. I think it's still not Haydn. So <laughs> hard to check nowadays. <laughs> so, but it's a nice piece. Yeah. Anyway, so yeah. we had this project. And uh, the last time we played together, we even tried to play the Bach double violin concerto with two flugelhorns. And this was a challenge. Yes. Um, I think it was a nice experience for sure, but uh, well, Bach is infinite, so yeah. therefore an infinite amount of <laughs> of um, work is needed there. Mm -hmm. So you've done well. I, I think about the piccolo piece, the one that comes to mind, the Marcello. Um, Accidentally. Well, what, uh, how do you mean? How do you mean accident? Well, I mean that I was not eager to do that recording at all. And the record company back then in 95, they pushed me to do that because that was the thing to do because every trumpet player should have a Baroque recording. I don't know why, but at that time they thought so. Mm -hmm. So uh, I've come with a list of pieces that I felt at least a little more comfortable with. Mm -hmm. I'm saying that because I don't normally play piccolo. It's not my thing. Mm -hmm. I'd rather go listen to my colleagues who do that beautifully. Mm. Um, I remember the, uh, it's an hour long video that, and it even features you acting. Oh, the, do, the, doc the documentary. Yes. It's called No More Wunderkind, yes. Yes, thank you. That was from 2004, I think. Mm -hmm. The acting in that um, seemed like it came very naturally. Oh, no, actually not. I'm not a good act <laughs> actor at all. Well, I and I was going to ask, you know, if, all you, these if you channeled your projects. presence on stage into, into that. Already to start with, I'm, um, I'm not a very, um, uh, how shall I say, I'm not an extrovert person. Mm -hmm. So when I come on stage, I sort of try to, to, to keep myself in my own bubble, in a way. Mm -hmm. And uh, in most cases, it's, it's hard to preserve this feeling. How is that? Why? Well, because there, is all, all those, there are all those people, you know, <laughs> observing. Yes. So, so obviously, there is a lot of energy <laughs> exchange. Um, so it's hard to avoid, really. Mm -hmm. And uh, being in a film was a challenge for me. And... Uh, I had six weeks to to prepare, mm. and uh, I had to speak Japanese in the film, and I didn't know Japanese, so I had to memorize the lines as music. <laughs> oh, and interesting. I, I, yeah. tr I tried to do it uh, as well as I could, and there is the result. And um, for me, it was a very special experience to 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 witness well uh, the absolutely fantastic uh, well performance of the local Japanese actors. Mm -hmm. It was fun. Mm -hmm. 
Um, I thought it was extremely well done. Um, well, there was in that documentary. There is just one small excerpt. Okay. Well. <laughs> yeah. The film was okay-ish, I think, mm -hmm. but not, not. Uh, so, thinking back to the piccolo piece, the video they did of the Marcello. I mean, you weren't necessarily acting in that. It was a very different experience, though. I, I would think from. Uh, that was the only time when uh, my record company uh, tried to make a proper video clip, which actually they did. Um, they chose that particular soundtrack because, well, it's, it's a famous one. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was already a big improvement because the first one they tried to do, they, uh, it was a very uh, funny one, uh, quite ridiculous. Uh, they, they chose soundtracks from Flight of the Bumblebee for a staccato and an excerpt from uh, Rhapsody in Blue. <laughs> Rhapsody Blue was, of course, in blue colors. And uh, in Horace Staccato, I was playing, uh, wearing some funny outfits, sitting on a wooden horse. So, <laughs> so that Marcello thing was a big improvement. So is that footage anywhere to be found? I couldn't find lately, <laughs> but I have a tape at home someplace. Okay. So it really ridiculous. Okay. Who wrote Ad Absurdium? Uh, Jörg Widman, a German, uh, uh, young German composer. Yeah. Really, I think he's a genius. And he's a brilliant clarinetist himself. Mm -hmm. He's quite popular in Germany nowadays. Mm -hmm. I, th I think he's uh, uh, the artist in residence in uh, Carnegie Hall right now. Mm -hmm. I think. So I heard. Mm -hmm. But I, I just I think it's funny sometimes to, to listen and watch and uh, I don't know, I just get a kick out of watching the orchestra try to stay with you <laughs> on well, some of those. That particular but, uh, piece is hard. Yeah. So I know Doc Schetzer was a big influence on your playing. That's correct. His recordings. His recordings. Um, you met him in person, yes? I met him in person, but I never heard him playing live, unfortunately. No. Um, but I played for him for the first time when I was 10. And then he heard me in concert I think when I was 13 mm -hmm. and then after many years when he was already living in Lithuania uh, he came to the rehearsal mm. and uh, I remember being so nervous really? when, I, when I saw him and uh, I couldn't really control myself but uh, for me uh, he was my main inspiration Mm -hmm. from the very beginning. What, what elements of his playing or personality? Um, because in his playing, the musicianship was on the first place always. Mm -hmm. And really, he played from his, from his soul. Mm -hmm. um, really, he was like, um, like one of the uh, legendary violinists on the trumpet. Mm -hmm. so. My wife is a violinist. And when we were sitting there at that recital, she commented at the intermission, uh, he, he plays like a violinist. The instruments that we play, these are just instruments through which we should normally uh, tell a story. Because mm -hmm. we could be singing, for instance, without any instrument. Mm -hmm. um, or we could be playing any other instrument, but again, to tell our own story. Mm -hmm. So our, let's say, skills on a certain instrument help us telling this story in the 
in the way that we want to tell it. Mm -hmm. When you first listen to a piece that you're going to incorporate into your repertoire, do you, do you just listen for a long period of time and then pick the horn up and, and start working through it, or how does that go? Well, that also comes with experience, for instance. Uh, when I had this idea, maybe to, to, to try to play some, um, uh, to find a, a Mozart violin sonata and to try to play it on a flugelhorn or on a trumpet, mm -hmm. I just um, uh, started to listen to all those sonatas. Mm -hmm. And then I was just thinking, hmm, that's possible. Mm, no, probably not. And then finally, uh, I chose two. Mm -hmm. that I've already uh, played in concerts mm -hmm. many times. Something like that. With Beethoven was more of a challenge. Which Beethoven did you do? I you didn't play it yet in concert, but uh, I want to try to, to record it. The Primavera, number five, mm. the Spring Sonata, mm -hmm. uh, will be very hard. Mm -hmm. Because uh, with this kind of music, there should not be any compromises, uh, musically speaking. Mm -hmm. um, so, what would be a compromise? Um, well, it should not sound ridiculous, or it should not sound like, uh, oh, he really tries and he kind of manages. Uh. <laughs> uh, it shouldn't yes. sound like a challenge. It should. Uh, I think the listener should simply forget what instrument that is, mm. and simply enjoy the music. Mm -hmm. If uh, if the fact of having another instrument starts to really damage, then there is no point playing. Mm -hmm. Then better just go to a concert and listen <laughs> to some different version. So the reason you haven't played Beethoven live yet is because you you're still getting trying to get to that point to where it's I haven't practiced it enough. Yeah, <laughs> I didn't have time. I was quite busy. Uh. You're very busy. Well, at this moment, I'm in the middle of my very long um, trip. Mm -hmm. You just finished uh, Italian Brass Week, or is that coming? No, up I didn't yet? do that this this year. I came from Russia. Before I was in Germany, Czech Republic, then Russia again. Before that, I was in Canada, in Quebec. Mm -hmm. But from here, I go to China, to the Chinese Trumpet Guild Conference, mm -hmm. and then to Israel then to Germany, then to Korea. So. Do you enjoy the travel? It depends. But at, at this stage of my life, I started to enjoy coming home. Mm. Because I'm not very often home. Usually it's just a few days a month. Mm -hmm. Is home in Russia? In, in France. In France. What part? Uh, it's in a suburb of Paris, mm -hmm. in the south. Mm -hmm. Did, weren't you a resident of Israel? At, at I'm Israeli. Point? Israeli. Yeah. Is it a dual citizenship? Yes, I have uh, Israeli and Russian citizenships. Mm -hmm. I think I may have gleaned that from the uh, No More Wunderkind. Yeah. And maybe that, that may Still have been part of that. Yeah. Yeah. So. Um, I didn't um, acquire any other passport since then. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I found it total uh, luck that uh, in 2011 that you came to Muncie. Indiana. I mean, that's 40 minutes from my house, and uh, it, you know, there are certain events along the way that you had already been an inspiration because of YouTube clips and albums, you know, and, and uh, 
but the performance was remarkable. Um, and I think I'm heading there too because you had said you're, you didn't say you're an introvert, you said you're not an extrovert. I'm in, in you are, introvert probably. I always think that's hilarious when a trumpet player, you know, we play an instrument that screams for attention. Uh, it depends what you, well, how you use it. Yeah, well, maybe not screams, but uh, <laughs> we certainly draw attention. It may it. if the music requires. Yeah. Well, and I'm thinking about what you play. Is there anything that really, where you're laid out, not like a lead trumpet in a big band, but are there, there are pieces where you... Where I have to play loud. Really let it go? Mm. Let me see. Well, to start with, the Ratunyan Concerto needs some trumpet character, for instance. Mm. Uh, otherwise, well, some pieces actually <laughs> written for trumpet, I play them sometimes, mm -hmm. like uh, Weinberg Concerto, Eino Tamberg I played. I uh, played um, uh, this Concerto Grosso by Eschpai, which requires a lot of loud playing. Mm -hmm. Have you heard of it? No. Oh, it's, a, it's a great piece. It's for, for trumpet, piano, uh, vibraphone and um, hmm. contrabass. And who's the composer on that one? Andrei Eshpai. No, not familiar with that. Great I'll piece. Look it up. Okay. Great piece. Um, what else? I've never played in an orchestra, and uh, definitely I have never tr tried this lead uh, trumpet playing. So, <laughs> and I don't play jazz. So, well, I find that interesting. Uh, of course, I've heard you play Jolivet Concertino. In, in I played obviously. Indianapolis, though, but you did the Shostakovich um, for piano and trumpet. In, but who so was you, the soloist, by the way? In, in oh, the, I don't remember. Must have been. I a, wasn't paying attention to the a while ago. <laughs> oh, probably twenty years. Something like that. Okay. Yeah. Okay. It's been a while. Uh, but you said in the orchestra, so technically. <laughs> well, it's in between. Right, right. Now I'm just, I'm just. It's being, in between. Well, in, Sh in Shostakovich, sometimes, yeah, but it's, it's not the loudest part. Yeah. Um, I know B flat trumpet is your, and B flat flugelhorn. That's that's home for you. Uh, kind of. A, a reason to not play another keyed instrument. I hear in B flat. Interesting. So, if I <clears throat> pick up a different. Uh, kind of trumpet, or C or E flat or whatever, uh, I get confused with my fingers, mm -hmm. really, mm -hmm. a lot. <laughs> so I, pr I rather transpose. Mm -hmm. Even f with a piano, uh, as I mean, you started on piano, correct? A few years, yes. But that's Three a C years. instrument. So, but you're talking when you say in B flat. I totally switched to B flat. Okay, okay. So perfect pitch in B flat, so to speak. Not completely perfect, but ish. Mm -hmm. Pieces you'd like to play that uh, we haven't talked about? Anything? Mm, more chamber music? Um, like string quartet or brass, uh, brass ensemble? Not or? necessarily brass ensemble. Somehow um, I do respect it a lot. And, and when it, when when it's played well, then it sounds great. But somehow, when there is too much brass together, for me, it's, it's a little tiring. <laughs> so, um, but 
I have to say there, I have to say that I enjoyed playing this Poulenc uh, Trio Sonata for trumpet, horn, and trombone. Mm, that's fun. It's a nice piece. It's funny. Uh, I started a trumpet ensemble at my university, which you're kind of expected to do these days, is to have. I can only take so much trumpet. I mean, it's too much. <laughs> After five minutes, it's, it's too much. You know, I mean, just the, the sonic uh, assault on that. I was just thinking about how you say, you know, brass when standard brass ensemble is... Oh, it's, it's like listening to an organ concert. At some point mm -hmm. it gets tiring. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But when it's played beautifully, well, mm -hmm. it's great. Mm -hmm. What kind of venues do you enjoy playing in? I mean, I've seen you've played in giant concert halls and you like the more intimate settings? My favorite place to play. Hmm? Uh, when I rehearse and when no, was, no one is watching. Really? Just to be together with, the, uh, let's say, with Maria Mirovich when we rehearse. And this is just like uh, talking to each other. Hmm. And I don't necessarily need other people watching. <laughs> For me, these are the most hmm. precious moments in music, I have hmm. to say. How'd you find her? Oh, well, uh, that was an accident, I have to say, uh, because I, I was supposed to play a recital with my sister, but at that time she injured her hand. Mm. Then I called um, another pianist, Sasha Markovich, with whom I did my first three CDs, mm -hmm. and he told me that he was not available, but he could recommend me a brilliant pianist, so mm -hmm. that's that how great. I met Maria. So, and uh, we've been playing uh, together since many years already. And does she concertize on her own? Yes, she does. Mm -hmm. She plays as a soloist and uh, does chamber music concerts, mm -hmm. teaches. Mm -hmm. And I have to say that I learned a lot from her because, uh, well, for her it was never, uh, let's say, important how difficult it is, what the difficulties of the, of the instrument. Mm -hmm. It was not important to her when we started to work on those um, arrangements, mm -hmm. but she just was telling me how you know it should sound, and then it was my problem to solve <laughs> <laughs> some you know technical issues. So and um, she really played with uh, the best uh, musicians, mm -hmm. string players and uh, woodwinds. And it is a big difference. I. I know you said she's not an accompanist, um, but we've all had an accompanist, somebody who's just staying with us. But when, and I've experienced this once truly where uh, there was an accompanist who had that kind of rapport, we had that rapport, who would offer freely, let's try this, would you consider this? And it made it something completely different. Of course. It depends on the, on, the, on the piece of music, because if it's the accompaniment of Carnival of Venice, well, it is an accompaniment. Well, it's definitely <laughs> not chamber music at all. But you can play it musically or not. Obviously, yes. yes. But uh, if we are talking about Mozart sonatas or Schumann's fantasy pieces, something like that, it's definitely not an accompaniment, an accompaniment mm. plus solo instrument. Mm. It's, a, it's a real chamber music with two soloists. Mm -hmm talking to each other, equal, uh, how shall I say, equally important parts. Sure. When uh, it has to be a two-way street where 
both musicians have to listen to each other because so often young players just uh, forget that they have to listen also to the mm -hmm. pianist. Mm -hmm. Welcome to the middle of the episode. Just a reminder that this podcast is brought to you with the support of Messina Covers. They offer some standard and custom designs of trumpet bags, mouthpiece pouches, and more. And their customer service is excellent. Be sure to check them out at www.messinacovers.net. And now, back to the interview. You've done the Haydn, the Hummel, yes. Neruda? Yes, I have. Um, and those are probably still part of your repertoire. I mean, the Haydn... No, Neruda I don't play very often. I've, I did it several times, though. Haydn, yes, I'm, every time I'm very nervous playing that piece somehow. Really? Yes, I'm, I feel like um, uh, almost, uh, well, because it's like our Bible. Oh, everybody the, the, knows it. The, this concerto. <laughs> and um, I somehow feel without any clothes in front of everyone when I play that piece. <laughs> And at the same time, it's a beautiful concerto mm -hmm. without many notes, so nowhere to hide. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yes. And uh, even the first three notes, sometimes it's a big issue, really, to play, in a, to play it in a, in a convincing way, I have mm -hmm. to say. Mm -hmm. Are there other trumpet concertos, Halsey Stevens? Uh, I haven't done that one. Okay, so... Never played anything they, by him. Do they pique your interest, the, the Tomasi... Jolivet. Jolivet Concertino I've played. Tomasi I recorded. I played the first movement when I entered Paris Conservatoire mm -hmm. for the exam. But I never played the whole piece in concert. Um, tried to play Jolivet Concerto number two on a B-flat trumpet. It was a bad idea. Almost broke my lips. <laughs> I've never heard anybody say broke their lips. <laughs> Uh, I over-practiced and I had big issues oh, for, for okay. quite quite a while afterwards. Yeah. But not only that, but I had also to practice many more pieces in that period. So. Mm -hmm. so that's a challenge too. I mean, choosing your repertoire. I mean, if you're coming to like this conference, I'm assuming you're only playing the Ad Absurdium. The, only that piece here, yes. But if you're doing programming or recital, you do have to consider the pacing. Yes, about the duration. You mean well, or how to the, you're not the, the put energy the most management. Difficult. Yes, yes, exactly. Um, do you, when you plan that recital, do you consider like a uh, an anchor piece for the first half, or an anchor, you know, like I don't, something After major? the first half, I don't play uh, encore. Oh no, not an encore, but I mean an an anchor piece, like anchor. I don't understand is, that part. Uh, sorry. Like if I'm going to do a recital, I'll. This is the big piece for the first half, maybe. Okay some concerto, the big piece, and then you do two or three other smaller pieces. Okay, I never play concertos in the recital. Because well, what I was the Torchinsky? Was that not it's a... It's a capriccio. Originally written right, for trumpet and piano. Okay, okay. And I think when... I, I mean, string players would never play a Mozart concerto with piano in their recital. Hmm. Because it was written for the violin and an orchestra, so it has to sound properly. And then for usually piano parts uh, of, an of a concerto are really not comfortable to play for the pianist. Mm -hmm. And, it, well, it doesn't sound nice. 
Well, you don't get all the colors that the composer exactly. intended. So here. the reason why we do that sometimes is because we don't have enough repertoire. And there, hmm. I say, it's uh, a much better idea to play a nice arrangement. I think that's just my opinion. Mm -hmm. That's very insightful. Uh, just thinking the way now how you program uh, things like that. So you wouldn't do the Haydn no, on, never. on uh, recital? No, Haydn, no Jolivet, Concertino, or whatever, or no Homo, no Aratignan. I would never do that in a recital. Mm -hmm. You think the Aritunian is uh, overplayed? It's a beautiful piece of music. I wouldn't say it's overplayed. It's so well written. So it's probably the most uh, popular trumpet piece of the 20th century. Mm -hmm. And uh, but uh, there is another piece by Aratunian who has yes. who gets a lot less attention: theme and variations. Yes. Uh, which is also very interesting. There's another. It's a scherzo. Something in scherzo, yes. Yes, um, nocturne, nocturne and scherzo, I think mm -hmm. it's called. But uh, I'm talking about a big piece with the orchestra, sure. so sure. it's called theme and variations. Mm -hmm. It's more um, towards uh, Shostakovich music direction. Mm -hmm. Good piece. Let me ask about the memorization. Is that something that just comes naturally? I didn't have lately situations when I had to learn something really quickly. I remember that uh, when I was a kid, I didn't take much time to learn, to memorize. Uh, and lately, it depends on the piece, sometimes one day I just realize, oh, I probably know it by heart. <laughs> then I start playing it by heart. Mm -hmm. And then let's say sonatas do not require um, memorization. Sonatas can be performed from a score. Mm -hmm. Or let's say, of course, here with the Jörg Widman concerto, definitely I will use <laughs> the score. Sure. Even though when I practice, uh, most lines I, I know mm -hmm. because I've, I've already practiced it many times. So, so here's a question. You've, uh, if the tempo varies on a piece that you've practiced, you mentioned the Ad Absurdian, you may be doing it. You said you rehearsed it at a little bit slower tempo. Yeah, because we had to, to make sure that all the verticals are together. But when you practice this and you're working out like with a circular breathing, do you, do you know ahead of time where you plan out, where you're going to do that? Sort of. But the tempo, if it's slower, was, is going to affect? Of course it will. Yes. So my question what is... What else will affect is that uh, no matter how I prepare at home, on stage it will be a different feeling because of the adrenaline, because of a much higher heartbeat. Mm -hmm. And well, it's, it's hard to, to practice that at home. So are you implying that you get nervous? I'm lately more an, nervous than, 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 than before. And I hope I'm not jinxing anything. No, 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 no absolutely. I, I, so I, you, I you, kind of know approximately how I will feel. But you look so in control. I try to focus as much <laughs> as I can. Yeah. And I hope that it will help. Let's yeah. put it this way. Yeah. So there are things I know that are out of your control uh, sometimes. Uh, well, and the reason I asked earlier about the conductor, uh, actually before we started the interview, I asked about the conductor. We have a very good contact with Olivier. But the, you have a conductor that you use quite often. I have noticed uh, that conducts, like on the, so many of the videos I've seen on YouTube, you know, there's one conductor, uh, well, where's the Yamaka? Um, 
Oh, forgive me, I don't remember. Um, Benjamin Yusupov. Yes. Oh, we only did one or two concerts together. So, oh. so far. It's just this video had a oh. lot of views. Okay. Okay. Yeah, that was this only concert Maybe. with the Israel Israel Chamber mm -hmm. Orchestra that mm -hmm. I did. But this conductor actually is a brilliant composer. Well, and he and seems very in tune with you. Uh, with uh, that was a good concert, I think. Yeah. And he, he wrote, by the way, a beautiful piece for uh, Reinhold Friedrich. Mm -hmm. So uh, it's uh, worth um, mm -hmm. watching. Mm -hmm. Wonderful. Who inspires you these days? And not necessarily trumpet player, but who? Oh, definitely. I mean, some trumpet players also. Yes. But uh, for pleasure? Uh, pianists? Anyone, sure. Um, Vladimir Horowitz, mm -hmm. for example. Um, or violinists from the past, mm -hmm. like, uh, I don't know, Heifetz, Chrysler, mm -hmm. uh, Grimieux, Arthur, Ivor mm -hmm. um, Gitlis who is still a living legend. <laughs> um, I'm, I can proudly say that I know him quite well. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, cellists. Um. That reminds me. I heard you play the Kul Nidre. Mm -hmm. So uh, I had to go find it. And then I went to find recordings of cellists. And there's some spectacular... Mm -hmm. but and very different. And very different, mm -hmm. yes. And, I've, and I'm horrible at remembering names, especially today, but this one uh, female cellist, I think she's passed now. Uh, Jacqueline Dupré? Yes, thank you. Oh, it was exquisite. And I loved her playing. I don't remember you know. her performance uh, right now. It doesn't sound in my, in my mind. Uh, but uh, there was beautiful versions, yes. So, Obviously. But then I remember your recording, and then I listen to them, and I'm like, oh, that's why he phrases it this way. Because mm -hmm. the cellist, I mean... I was not copying anyone. No, there, no, no, but, but it's... And, and that piece, to me, in, in that particular piece, there's so much angst. Yes. So he really tugs. But with, uh, with a lot of light at the end. Maybe you're not copying, but you certainly... You're not just playing the notes, and you've never in that trying I think, to tell a story. The notes. So, uh, when you say telling a story, do you actually have an idea of what it is you're wanting to communicate? Do you well, in this particular piece, uh, there is a theme. So this is uh, less abstract than most of other musical pieces. Mm -hmm. But. Um, is still somewhat abstract. Mm -hmm. It's more the feeling mm -hmm. that I want to project. Mm -hmm. There I have to say just to finish before because I just had this thought. Please. One, let's say, um, one person, let's say, touches another person without saying anything that other person can still understand. Mm. So this is, I think, this has, has a lot of common in what we are doing. Mm -hmm. Do you see yourself playing indefinitely? Oh, I really hope that uh, I will stop early enough when I can still play. You're not going to be like Doc and play till you're 92 and... 
<laughs> he's definitely an exception. Oh yes, of course. So uh, <laughs> and uh, he's a living legend. So yes. Um, when I heard somebody say this was actually in another podcast, um, they left uh, principal trumpet position. Uh, what somebody had said was five years too early. He goes, I would rather leave five years too early than five years too late. Uh, they completely agree. But then I think it's like with singers. Uh, at some point, one has to realize that the voice is no longer the same. So maybe there are some limitations. And then the repertoire can be adjusted. For example, to start with. Well, I mean, you're a great example of that. You're not the same ten-year-old. I mean, your repertoire has changed immensely. Even though I still have to sometimes play Carnival of Venice. <laughs> yes. Which has become, uh, how shall, shall I say, I feel a lot of pressure when I have to play that. Kind of like the Haydn. Kind of. Just because of the expectation. Exactly. Yes. It's hard to it's hard not to think of it. What was it like as a ten-year-old? Uh, did you feel like you were? And, and I'm not trying to put anything on on your father, but did you feel like you were being paraded at any point in front of anything? This mm, child prodigy? Not really. But my father is a very ambitious and a very talented person who taught me how to practice. Um, but at some point, quite early, I realized that I was actually good. Mm -hmm. And uh, back in in Soviet Union, the trumpet wasn't as popular as nowadays. Mm -hmm. So there was no many young trumpet players around. Mm -hmm. And yes, I, I've, I could feel this attention. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, mm, I was never uh, snobbish about it because my father would never ever let me feel that. Mm. And uh, he taught me to be a perfectionist and to be really serious about practicing. And, mm -hmm. and uh, my ideals were very quickly um, not only trumpet players, but violinists, pianists and mm -hmm. other instruments. So when you say he taught you how to practice, what, is, what does that look like? Oh, he taught me about efficiency. He taught me to be a perfectionist. Because he was a trumpet player, yes? No, he was a piano teacher, that's the thing. Oh. I took lessons from trumpet players as well. But, and of course, I was absorbing information from them as much as I could. Mm -hmm. Not everything did fit me, I have to say. Mm -hmm. uh, but my father was... I mean, he didn't have to explain me how to blow into the instrument. But uh, when I was doing something wrong or when I was playing something without any reason, he would stop me and he would tell me how to proceed because the, uh, the ways of practicing are similar with every instrument. Sure. How to make things better, how to, um, um, how to train the muscle memory. Sure. It's the same. Mm -hmm. Did you some of the same repertoire with, say, Arbenz or... Excuse me? Uh, Arbenz or Clark, did you have the same repertoire to, uh, as part of your practice? Or, or well, I started to play variations by Arban, uh, Arban, actually, well, French way, very early. Sorry, I'm an American. No, I, I know Arban. <laughs> actually, in Russia, they call it Arban sometimes. Well, uh. 
Sorry, I'm sounding. <laughs> That's quite all right. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm not French, actually. Yeah. My, my French is okay-ish, but uh, it's definitely not perfect. <laughs> anyway, um, I don't know why I said it. But uh, yes, I, I, there I have to say I never played the whole book. Mm -hmm. And uh, So what were you practicing? The pieces that I was oh, straight planning to, to, to perform. Now, obviously, you didn't start, well, I say obviously, but maybe not. I mean, you didn't start with Carnival of Venice. Well, this was the first piece by Armand that I've ever played. Slowly, at start, <laughs> at, of course. Yeah. And that was my father's idea, that I would, you know, start learning it. And uh, he told me, okay, let's consider each variation as a small etude. Mm -hmm. It took some time. Mm -hmm. But I started early, so. Yeah. So I'm thinking about, uh, my mind went to uh, the Carmen fantasy and uh, thinking about recordings. I yes. Mean, you spend a lot of time, you've spent a lot of time in the recording studio. Especially earlier. Did you enjoy that? It was very stressful every time. But it wasn't like everybody was watching. Uh, no, was it, was but it? there was a time limit. Uh, and uh, I knew that I have to finish it on time, mm -hmm. just because I have to. Mm -hmm. And it's not uh, uh, necessarily that that these particular days when I have to, recom to, to record, I would be in my perfect shape. Mm. Obviously, because of the anxiety, I wouldn't sleep properly. And then, you know, and as I mentioned earlier, um, for some time I had uh, some lip issues. Mm -hmm. But the audience doesn't care, <laughs> right? <laughs> I had an orchestra conductor, university orchestra conductor, uh, in rehearsal, some violist or somebody had said, oh, but I've got a final coming up, I've got a study thing. He, he said, the audience doesn't care. You know, they're not going to sit out there and think, oh, it's okay that they don't sound good because, I mean, the audience is there to hear us do what we do. Yeah, because they expect to hear the best, they would like to hear the best from each musician. Mm -hmm. And they deserve mm -hmm. that at least we try to to give everything we can. Mm -hmm. So back to the recording studio, were there many takes? It depends on the piece. What do you mind saying? Was there a piece that and you know had a lot of takes? I'm just kind of curious. Well, some pieces required some takes and. Um, like Carmen, I didn't. Did you break that up, or was that a straight through? I don't remember. It was a long time ago. But uh, of course, uh, in the recording, is not like you come, you play once, everything is super perfect, everyone <laughs> is happy, and you go home. If something happens, then well, you repair that particular spot, or or for whatever reason, not together, balance is not right, or the interpretation is boring, or not uh, <laughs> convincing, for whatever reason. Mm -hmm. Not necessarily because uh, I missed some notes or the high note didn't come, come out. There could be many reasons. Mm -hmm. The thing is that with a live performance, okay, something is not perfect. Well, it's a live performance. Mm -hmm. What can you do about it? A recording is better be without compromises. So do you have plans for another? Recording project. I know you mentioned one is one, one recording is on hold actually, mm -hmm. uh, because uh, Jörg Widman's Concertstück was released uh, already two years ago, 
And, um, but I, that, that particular piece was released with the two Mendelssohn symphonies. Mm. That was the project of the Irish Chamber Orchestra. Mm -hmm. But then I kept the right to put it in my own project. So I thought, okay, I'll record two more pieces and put together um, a whole project of my own. Mm -hmm. But there are some legal issues now between record labels oh. and stuff. So uh, I recorded the Mozart Horn Concerto mm -hmm. and uh, Haydn Oboe Concerto mm -hmm. that I played one octave down plus one tone. Actually, I made an accommodation. I, I, yes. I, I, I actually played it in a different key, <laughs> uh, which I have to say sounds quite convincing because uh, instead of C major, it became D major, which is uh, quite comfortable for the strings. Mm -hmm. And uh, somehow D major with flugelhorn goes well mm -hmm. together. Mm -hmm. So, but this project uh, hasn't been released so far. Mm -hmm. So this might be the next one. And otherwise, um, I really would like to do this Mozart Beethoven mm -hmm. uh, CD or whatever it will be. So far in concert, I played only one piece by Beethoven. Is the um, seven variations on a magic flute. Mm -hmm. Uh, which is originally for cello, mm -hmm. and I played with flugelhorn. And uh, it's a very complicated piece to play. <laughs> it's absolutely not difficult for ellipse or for endurance, but it has so many other difficulties. Such like as? Style, intonation, again, nobody cares about our mm -hmm. difficulties. Mm -hmm. It just has to sound right. Mm -hmm. So your flugelhorn, um, are you able to adjust on a technical side of things? Are you able to adjust the first, first or third or fourth slides? The first one. First. It doesn't work very well though. <laughs> it's uh, it's an old flugelhorn that I don't know. Mm -hmm. I have another spare one at home. Mm -hmm. uh, but. Um, just thinking from an intonation standpoint. Uh, yes, it's out yes, of tune, definitely. It has a great sound. It's totally out of tune. I mean, totally. Well, it depends. But that's the, uh, where you make the adjustments. Yes, I had to learn way. how to play off-center, mm -hmm. off the center of the what instrument wants. Right. But uh, there are ways to compensate. Mm -hmm. But it, it takes a lot of practicing. Mm -hmm. One other technical thing, I remember back to that recital and being able to sit right in front of your bell. I could hear the air start before the note. And, you know, having my wife again as a violinist, having uh, watched her play, you know, and, and directors telling them, you know, you start moving before the note produces. Mm -hmm. That was a conscious thing for you. Yes? Oh, yes. But it became automatic. Yeah. For me, I have a very clear explanation about it. Uh, very often, we have issues with the first note, but not with the second. Mm -hmm. Why is that? Because when, you're, when we play the second note, our system is already mm -hmm. functioning. Mm -hmm. So how to fake the first note as if it was not the first? <laughs> Start moving. Start <laughs> exhaling in advance mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. through the nose, for example. Mm -hmm. So it becomes, it becomes fun. Mm -hmm. Brilliant. I don't know anybody that teaches that way, though. Nobody taught me that. 
but uh, very often I do that indeed, yes. Okay. Any extended techniques that you're working on? I mean, you already circular breathe better than anybody uh, that well, I know. Well, Rafael Mendez was the one. Well, yes. He, 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 was, <laughs> the was, great, he was the greatest virtuoso ever. But no other, I'm trying to think, multiphonics, you had mentioned, that's not something I don't do that. you're going to work in. No. Yeah. Electronics? Uh... Um, never tried. Mm -hmm. Maybe one day, depends. Mm -hmm. Maybe some contemporary piece will require this. Mm -hmm. But I haven't tried so far. Mm -hmm. um, I, I, I don't really know. Um, I'm quite open-minded trying new um, instruments, new kinds of trumpet, that is. I'm, so I've never performed with a rotary trumpet yet, hmm. and I think I want to try once to play Haydn with a rotary trumpet. Interesting. Just um, to see how it might feel. Oh, the, the concerto. Yes. Yes, I was thinking the, uh, the cello. The, the trumpet, the cello. Our, right. our piece. Right. Yeah. Well, Sergey, thank you for everything, for the time. Thank you very much. The insights. It's uh, always been a pleasure to listen to you and looking forward to the performance this evening. No, tomorrow uh, evening. Uh, after tomorrow, actually. Tomorrow we have our oh, second right, rehearsal, right. rehearsal day. So, well, thank I ho you. I hope it will be worth it uh, oh, with I'm all sure. this preparation. I'm sure it will be. But you're sharing that uh, concert with someone else, right? I mean, it's, uh, yes, there will be other soloists. Yeah, several yeah. actually. Yeah. So, well, thanks again. Thank you so much. All right. Thank you. Thank you again for listening to today's interview. I hope you enjoyed your time here, and please come back for more interviews. Be sure to share the news of this podcast with friends and colleagues and give me a rating on whatever platform you get your podcast from. Thanks again to Messina Covers for co-sponsoring this podcast. Don't forget that you too can be a supporter. Check out how at www.patreon.com slash studio HFL. And one more reminder that you can sign up to receive news via email regarding new episodes, merchandise, and more by going to palmusic.net and clicking on the subscribe to newsletter link. Thanks again for listening, and I hope you come back for more great interviews.